Alleluia. Christ is risen. Alleluia. Happy Easter. Yes, it's still Easter. We're going to celebrate Easter. We celebrate it for 50 days, right up to Pentecost. And then, after that, we celebrate Easter every Sunday. So Easter is a big deal. It's really special. It's important. It's a crucial thing. The most important aspect of our faith. Jesus, who died for each one of us, for you and for me, risen from the dead. So, Alleluia. Christ is risen. Alleluia. In his homily on Good Friday, Father Brian mentioned that when he died on the cross, Jesus created all of the sacraments. Now, it's easy for us to kind of see that where the sacrament of baptism comes from and where the Eucharist comes from, you know, through the, the Last Supper. Now, not so easy for us to see the sacrament of reconciliation. And what do we hear in our gospel today, the very first part of it? On that day of resurrection, Jesus comes to his apostles that very first day, what, he's, what does he do? He says to them, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. He said, something for them to hand down to their successors also. Now, for them to know what sins to forgive or to retain, they have to hear them. Somebody, you, know, you have to tell them your sins. So we see that establishment of that sacrament, the sacrament of reconciliation. You know, a sense of Jesus' mercy for each one of us. And why do I say that mercy? You know, if you've ever talked with someone who maybe has gone to reconciliation after having been away for it, from it for some time, they can tell you how soothing it was, how healing it was how they came out and they felt clean and restored. So tremendous change that they feel through that. Now, we don't want to be away from it for a long time. We want to make sure we're there, you know, once a month or something like that so that we keep ourselves ready and clean, ready to receive Christ's mercy. So we have here that an indication on that day of resurrection of his mercy for each one of us. And today, we celebrate Divine Mercy Sunday. It was something that Pope St. John Paul II kind of declared in the year 2000, so it seems like it's relatively recent. But we actually go back a little further than that to talk about his mercy on this particular Sunday. We actually go back to the 1930s. We have a Polish nun who has received messages from Jesus, and you, one of those messages was, was, celebrate my mercy on this second Sunday of Easter. So it's, it's not something new. It kind of has come along, you know, in the, in the last hundred years. So have that sense of celebrating his mercy, of receiving his mercy, of feasting on his mercy. That's what some of what she wrote in her diary tells us. So we talk a little bit more about her. Her name was uh, 
Helen Kowalska when she was born. She had a third of ten children in her family. And when she was 14, she went out to work to help support the family. You know, it's, it's, they think maybe she had at most three years of education. But what she did have was a dedication to our Lord. And she continued to develop that dedication and that love for our Lord and Savior who died for us and rose from the dead. So that just before she turned 20, with some difficulty, she entered the convent. It's actually the Congregation of Our Lady of Mercy. And continued to grow in her faith. That was 1925. In 1931, she has a vision and receives kind of an instruction to have a picture painted. And when the picture was done, she was distressed and she cried because it didn't show the true glory, the beauty of our Lord and Savior. And this is the picture here. Now, when we recognize that, our, His divine mercy, the, you know, the, the rays of His blood and the water coming from His heart to bathe us and cleanse us. You know, and it, it didn't really reflect all that she had seen. So she was a little distressed about that. But as time went on, she continued to receive visions and messages, and her spiritual director said, write these down. So today we have her diary that tells us, receive his mercy, live in his mercy, feast on his mercy, but also do not presume on his mercy. We need to actually be actively seeking his mercy, not just presuming, oh, I'll just live my life and eventually God will take care of me. No, it's just, you can't presume that. And this is in keeping with the Gospels also. So one example in the Gospels would be Matthew uh, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where Jesus says to us, he says, strive to enter through the narrow gate, for the way that leads to destruction is broad and easy, and many will find it. And the way that leads to, to life and salvation is narrow and difficult, and few will find it. So we have that from the Gospels. And in, in her diary at you know, item 741, she records that she was given a vision of hell. So it's a couple of things. One, she reports you know, how this, the horror of it, the pain for eternity. But two other interesting points. She says it's very large and there were many souls there. That was one. The other one was... Many of those souls that were there didn't believe that there was such a place. So we have do not presume on his mercy. But her very next entry in her diary says, we need to receive his mercy. We need to share his mercy in the world. So it's like, eh, don't presume, but it, mercy is there for us, for everyone who can say yes to his mercy. Now, along these lines of not presuming on his mercy. I want to talk about a contemporary, a t contemporary of hers. Well, let me finish about her. She died in 1938 at the age of 33. Now, who else do we know that died at the age of 33? It was someone who gave himself for each one of us and rose from the dead. So she's sharing his message of mercy, you know, his message of mercy that we see here, 
She shared that message of mercy in a you know, much more modern presentation. So this contemporary of hers was an Austrian, Franz Jägerstatter, or blessed Franz Jägerstatter. Now, he was born in 1907, and as a teenager and in his early 20s, we wouldn't have wanted to know him. He was running with gangs, and he was a troublemaker. But he had a conversion. He returned to his Catholic faith. He married a woman who was a devout Catholic, and together they grew in their faith. They grew much more deeply into their faith and shared it and supported each other in growing in their faith. And into the late 1930s in Austria, you know, he was drafted a couple of times into the military, and he went and served, but only for a very short period of time because as a farmer, he had an exemption. But in 1943, the exemptions were removed, and he was drafted again. By this time, because of the development of his devout faith, you know, living his Catholic faith, and the people in his village knew that he was living that faith, he was a little different from them. Even though they were all Catholic, they knew he was special. He determined that you know, many men are going to, into the military and they're not returning. He says, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die for something good. He said, and I've determined that this war that's going on is evil and I will not participate in this evil. So he refused to serve. He said, I could serve as a medic, but they weren't interested. They wanted people who were under arms. They weren't interested in conscientious objectors. So ultimately, even though his parish priest you know, advocated that he should just go along to get along, he says, no, I will not serve evil. So in the summer of 1943, he was taken to Berlin and executed. And his wife supported him this, no, even knowing what would happen. So there was a movie made of his life. The title of the movie is A Hidden Life. So if you get a chance to watch it, I recommend it. But there's a scene in that movie where he's talking with an old artist who's painting pictures of Bible scenes on the wall of the, peri of the uh, local church, the parish church. And the artist laments that even no matter what he does, he can't seem to quite capture the essence, you know, the glory of Jesus Christ in the pictures that he paints. Not unlike this picture that St. Faustina was so distressed about. You know, where the beauty that she knew didn't come through completely. So this artist is lamenting that he can't quite do that. And he says, you know, I can paint these pictures and I can bring people to be admirers of Christ, but I can't bring them to be followers of Christ. Big difference. So along with the, we can't presume on his mercy, you know, we can't just be admirers. We need to be followers of Christ. So we're called to be followers, and that makes all the difference. If we choose to follow him, 
and knowing that there are difficulties and struggles, we see blessed Franz Jägerstadter, he had the struggles, he had the difficulties. Everyone around him was saying, go along to get along. And he says, no, I will follow Christ. And he died. So we're called to follow Christ also. And if we follow Christ, we can then say yes to his mercy. We can share his mercy. We can feast on his mercy. We can reflect his mercy into the world with the people we come in contact with. We can really be instruments of Christ's mercy in the world. So that we're called, each one of us, is called to be a follower of Christ and to share his mercy in the world and to feast on his mercy so that others will know how much he loves us and how much he loves them.